Welcome to the Ragged Scratch podcast, presented by Ragged Foils Productions. I'm your host, Natalie. This episode contains a content warning for threat of gun violence and murderous intent, but it is done in a comedic setting. Next week is our final episode, and as it'll be coming out on Halloween, best season, just saying, I've saved our darkest and spookiest submissions for then. This week, however, we have two slightly more unusual pieces. Something a bit different, so I hope you enjoy them. Up later, we have Your Benevolence, one of a series of experimental monologues set in a world where a higher power is proven to not only exist, but also listens and maybe, just maybe, acts. I'll also be chatting to writer Matt Boothman about what interactive fiction and running tabletop role-playing has taught him about writing. But first... A piece adapted for radio from a Chekhov short story by American writer Roy Proctor, in which a hot-headed husband goes to a gun store in search of the perfect weapon to kill his wife, her lover and himself, only to be confronted at every turn by a persnickety shopkeeper. Settling the score was directed by Karen Hope and stars Jack Glanville as Fyodor and Jonathan Brandt as the shopkeeper. to enter Schmuck and Company. Gunsmiths and gun merchants extraordinaire. I know what I have to do. My home is destroyed. Honour is trampled. Vice is triumphant, but not for long. I have it all worked out. I'll kill her first, then her lover, then myself. I can see it now. Blood-stained corpses, broken skulls, oozing brains, the commotion, the gaping spectators, the delectable horror of it all. The only question is how I'll pull it off. My, my, just look at the selection. Oh, my. Almost every lethal firearm conceived by the mind of man. But it's so quiet. The place is deserted. Where's the confounded clerk? Monsieur? Ah, there you are. What is your pleasure, monsieur? I could have walked off with half your merchandise by now. You're lucky I didn't. Many have tried, monsieur, but none have succeeded. Schmuck and company takes deadly aim. What can I do for you, monsieur? I need a revolver. For what purpose, might I ask? What business is it of yours? We're in the firearms business. Different revolvers serves different purposes. Ah, well, I... I need it for my country cottage. To, uh, to scare away burglars. I see. Now, in this display case, for your purposes, I'd advise you to invest in this superb Smith & Wesson revolver. The last word in the science of firearms. Triple action with ejection. Kill at 600 paces. Here, monsieur. Don't be afraid to handle it. How does it feel, monsieur? Heavy, to be sure. And cold. Yes, cold. Very, very cold. 
But, uh, efficient, I'd say. Be careful, sir. Don't point it at me. Point it at your um, burglar. What burglars? Oh, I thought you said... Well, never mind. Uh, how much does it cost? We'll get to that, monsieur. We sell dozens of these every day for burglars, wolves, and, would you believe, lovers. It's very accurate. It hits from a great distance. It can kill a wife and a lover with one bullet. As for suicide, I don't know a better weapon. Uh, but how much? Forty-five rubles, monsieur. Forty-five rubles? Forty-five? My God! That's too expensive. In that case, monsieur, let me suggest you something less expensive. Now, over here, in this case, we have limited choices in the lower price range for our rare patrons of limited means. Here, for instance, is a Le Fauché revolver. How much? Only 18 rubles, monsieur. Ah, that's more like it. Why waste a fine gun on, uh, burglars? <laughs> but, monsieur, it's an old-fashioned make. Do you know who buys these now? Who? Only hysterical ladies and the mentally deficient. I'm neither one. I didn't say you were, monsieur. But I must tell you that shooting one's wife or her lover or committing suicide with a Le Fouché revolver is considered as bad form nowadays. It simply isn't done in the best families. Smith and Wesson is the way to go if you want to hold up your head up to society. <laughs> At least, until you shoot it off. Stifle the jokes. This is a serious business. I told you I'm buying it for my country cottage. To scare away burglars. Can't you understand plain Russian? Let me assure you, monsieur, that your reason for any purchase is none of our concern. If we had to ascertain the real reason for every purchase, we'd have to close our shop. But, monsieur, this Le Fouché revolver is not even suitable for scaring burglars. Why not? It goes with a faint, muffled sound. It's like a guard dog that doesn't bark, just whimpers. Who needs that, monsieur? You want a big bang, big drama, big excitement when the big moment comes. Wait a moment. Here, monsieur, how about this dueling pistol? Ah. How does it feel, monsieur? Feel? Why are you walking away? Why didn't I think of this before? Why don't I challenge that scoundrel to a duel? Monsieur, take care not to remove any firearms from the premises. This nifty dueling pistol would do the job all right. But wait, I have a better idea. I'll kill him. Then I'll kill myself. But I'll spare the core of Babylon. <sighs> Why not? Let her feel the stings of conscience and the world's contempt. Oh, yes. Dogs pee on her. Children spit on her. Old women lean out their windows to empty their chamber pots on her head. Monsieur? Yes? I truly believe a gentleman of your dignity and importance would be happier with the Smith and Wesson. I think your burglars would expect no less. And if you think it's too expensive, very well. Schmuck and company is prepared to knock off five rubles. Yes, but... Of course, monsieur, as I've shown you, we have other makes, cheaper makes, inferior makes. Step this way and I'll show you. But... Try this one, monsieur. Hmm. How much? Thirty rubles, monsieur. 
that's not expensive. Not when you consider how far the exchange rate has dropped and how fast the customs duties are rising. Why, only the rich can purchase decent firearms these days. <laughs> There's nothing left for the poor but these Tula weapons. What a misery they are. How's that? With these Tula revolvers? God forbid. You have met your wife and you shoot yourself through the shoulder blade. Oh, my. Monsieur, why are you walking away again? Wait, why should I be the one lying there in my coffin, cold as a sturgeon, knowing nothing about it? Besides, shooting oneself is cowardly. So, I'll kill him and I'll let her live. I'll face my trial. The court, the press, the public, all will sympathise with me. Monsieur? Yes, what is it? Now, um, I have some other choices here. Now, this one's English, but I warn you, monsieur, this revolver pales beside the Smith & Wesson. A customer bought a Smith & Wesson from us. He shot his wife's lover, and would you believe it? The bullet passed through the lover, pierced the bronze lamp, then ricocheted off the piano, killed the lap dog, and bruised his wife's left breast. Very efficient, I must say. We're so proud. It was in all the newspapers. What happened to the customer? He's under arrest. He'll no doubt be convicted and sent to Siberia. Why? Our penal code is hopelessly out of date, monsieur. Nowadays the sympathies of the court are always with the lover. Why? Why is that? Very simple, monsieur. The judges, the jury, the prosecutor, the defense counsel, all are cuddling with other men's wives. It adds to their comfort to know that, with every conviction, there will be one less husband running loose in Russia. Society would be pleased if the government sent all husbands to Siberia. But that's terrible! Why should I go to a prison camp for a pig like that? That makes no sense either. If I go to prison, I'll only give my wife the opportunity to marry and deceive a second husband. Monsieur? I've got it. I'll leave her alive. I won't kill myself and I won't kill him either. I'll wither them with my contempt. I'll start divorce proceedings that will create a scandal. I must apologise for taking up so much of your time. All for nothing. What's that? What? That box in your hand. Only bullets, monsieur? Bullets? A box of bullets for a gun you didn't buy. How much? One box, monsieur? Uh, no, one bullet. It's on the house, monsieur, courtesy of Schmuck and Company. Shall I wrap it, monsieur? Yes. Shall I gift wrap it, monsieur? Yes, of course. Very well, monsieur. And be quick about it. I don't have all day. So, this is typically the section in the podcast where I'd have an interview with the writer of Settling the Score, Roy Proctor. But unfortunately, we couldn't make it work this time around, so Roy has very kindly provided some written answers to the questions I was going to ask him. On himself and his writing background, he says, I've been writing and taking pride in it since my second grade teacher wrote on my report card, Roy shows an aptitude for writing. If only I could get him to stop wandering aimlessly around the classroom. What Miss Ferris didn't know was that I was thinking up what I would write next as I wondered. 
Roy wrote fiction under Philip Roth in the Iowa Writers' Workshop as an undergraduate at the University of Iowa, then as a grad student there, took the same playwriting class that Tennessee Williams had taken 25 years earlier. He published 12 short stories in his 20s, then turned to arts journalism, principally as the staff theatre critic on two daily newspapers in Richmond, Virginia, where he reviewed more than 3,500 plays over a 30-year period. His retirement career as a writer of short plays grew out of that. Asked about his favourite thing he's written, he says, Another Chekhov story adaptation titled The Would-Be Playwright, which has been performed many times around the world. Roy specialises in adaptations of short stories, especially Chekhov's tales. He finds adaptation just as creative as other playwriting, but this preference is more widely accepted in the UK than in the US, noting that, after all, all but four of Shakespeare's 37 plays are basically adaptations. When asked if audio was a typical medium for him to write in, Roy says, All 14 of my audio plays are audio adaptations of my short stage plays, and I choose only stage plays that easily lend themselves to voices, sound effects and music. They're easy to adapt because most of them have a single scene and no more than three characters. On adapting a story and whether he tries to keep the flavour of the original writer's style or takes the essence of the story and writes it in his own way, he answers that it's a trade-off. His job is to do whatever is necessary to make the play live as vibrantly on the stage as the story did on the page. He says, I think slavishly being faithful to the original story is nonsense. The play must live on its own terms and have a life of its own. Looking at Chekhov in particular, what draws Roy to his work and what it is about his work that adapts so well to radio plays, he says, I've adapted 17 Chekhov stories into short plays so far and I love working on them. Chekhov had a wonderful command of dialogue and scene structure. The biggest problem is that Chekhov, as a product of the age of Impressionism, didn't so much end his stories as just stop them. He never wrote a real curtain line. That's what I have to supply to make a satisfying ending by today's standards. And finally, as funny as settling the score is, I, me, Natalie, personally, found it darkly resonant with the conversations happening still about America's gun laws and the sheer quantity of shootings that are occurring. I asked Roy if this was something he had in mind when he chose to adapt this piece, and he replied to say that he is strongly in favour of strict gun control in the US, but never gave this a thought as he wrote the play, which is a psychological study of a deranged man. Sociology has nothing to do with it. Thank you once again to Roy for submitting Settling the Score and for answering my questions. A couple of coincidentally similar shout-outs this week. Matt Boothman, the writer of the next piece, runs a podcast called Merely Roleplayers. You may have heard me shout about it before if you follow me on Twitter because I appear in a few series, including the one currently running, Prospero and Viola. It's an improvised fiction podcast where members and associates of Blackshaw Theatre Company play versions of themselves in different scenarios, using role-playing games and dice throws to influence the story. You'll hear a little more about it in the interview following his piece, and you can find them at Merely Roleplay on Twitter. Similarly, Jack Glanville, our Fyodor in Settling the Score, also runs a live-streamed Dungeons & Dragons game, Monday nights at 6pm on Twitch. Starring voice actors and fantasy fans, it's called Slice and Dice, and you can find out more by following Slice and D6 on Twitter. So if you want to join in and watch or listen in on any of those adventures, as ever, I'll post links to both of those projects in the show notes. Next up, when divine intervention is a fact of life, you have to be careful what you pray for. 
one of a series of audio monologues that let you eavesdrop on pleas addressed to the highest power of another world. Your Benevolence was written by Matt Boothman, directed by Karen Hope, and stars Dev Joshi as Jay. Your benevolence, I implore you, hear and intervene. There is a woman in the custody of the White Bureau at this very moment who should not be there. Her name is Meridian, Meridian, Meridian. Oh, I have a, they gave me the script. I didn't think I could otherwise. I get nervous without, but they didn't say I'd know it, that I, that I, I can tell you're listening. I feel, <clears throat> there is a woman in the custard of the white wind beer, the white. Oh, they say the script's supposed to help. I really thought it'd help. Please, please don't stop listening. This is important. I know you know it's important. You must do. You must. I've invoked your benevolence before, but I never felt this. Of all the times, this is the only time I've felt, I've known. You're listening. I've got your attention. And you know, I think that's right. All those other times it was always about me. Don't let me miss Marla's match. Help me get over this case of the hack before my big assessment. I was never sure because I did make it to the match, but the hack got worse and the assessment went, I mean, you know. I thought we just had to trust and hope. But you just weren't listening those times. And that's okay, because you are now. And this time it's not about me, it's about... (sighs) This is a plea for justice to be served. I'm just one of many who feel we can't sit by while this is done in our name. If you hear only one of us, I mean, that's the idea. That's why the script and the instructions and everything. Speaking with one voice. I thought I'd be one voice in this huge choir, imploring your benevolence together like a chant from all across the land. I want it to be part of something like that. But I don't feel like I am. It feels like it's just me. And you, and you're so... Is it only me? Out of everyone who signed up, am I the only one you're listening to? That's how it feels talking to you. Lonely. If that's it, you shouldn't listen to me. Not instead of any of the others. I'm not the one who should tell this story. It's about injustice and you need to hear it, but I wanted to be part of that choir more than I actually wanted what we're supposed to be asking for. It wouldn't have mattered what the issue was, the cause. As soon as I read about what they were planning, this mass invocation idea, I wanted in. I committed before I even looked at the script. I want to be the sort of person who does this, who sees when things are wrong and adds their voice to all the others saying no. There must be so many of those voices imploring you right now. One of them will deliver the script perfectly and you'll know exactly what it is we're talking about and why all we've got left is your benevolence. If you could hear just one of them. Why are you still listening? I can't be as punchy as the script they came up with. It's not gonna, I'm gonna say it all wrong. Do you know what, can you tell what I mean even if I say it all wrong? 
Okay, it's about this woman, Meridian Vacol. Far as anyone knows, she's in a bureau cell, but really none of us outside the bureau knows what they've done with her. They arrested her three days ago, and no one's seen her since. All she did was stand up for herself and what she deserved and what her people deserve. And now she's gone, disappeared. Been disappeared. They're not even saying why they arrested her. They can't even be bothered to try and make it seem legitimate. The Apex Magister just ignores every question about it. They're trying to make it seem like it didn't happen or it doesn't matter, but we, I, I think it does matter. A lot of other people think so too, apparently, probably more strongly than me, but I can't speak for them. With them, maybe. I want to speak with them. I don't know Meridian Vicol. She was no one to me before this, but I think it matters what she was saying, and it matters she's locked up without a proper revealing. Maybe it's none of my business imploring you on behalf of someone I don't know, but if it was me, I'd want to think other people minded enough to speak a few minutes just to say they thought it was wrong. I think it's wrong. I think, I hope, you might too. In your benevolence. I hope one of the others gets through and manages to give you the script without having a crisis. Someone worked hard on it and it probably gets the point across better about what I'm actually supposed to be asking for. Mixvacol wasn't asking for much, and I don't think I am either. I implore you, in your benevolence, having heard, to intervene. I'm here with Matt Boothman, the writer of Your Benevolence. Welcome to the Ragged Scratch podcast, Matt. Hello. Uh, thanks very much for having me. Could you tell us a little bit about you and your writing background? Sure. So I studied creative writing was half my degree uh, at university. So I, I wrote some stuff during that degree uh, and I've been um, I've been published here and there with short stories in uh, small mostly science fiction and fantasy presses. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I've had uh, one production uh, produced on the London Fringe stage as well. Nice. So a mix of novels, short stories and plays and that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. I like the control of prose, but I like the collaboration of drama. I mm. Okay, so on your benevolence, you said in the application form that it is one of a series of audio monologues that let you eavesdrop on pleas addressed to the highest power of another world, which sounds fascinating and immediately drew me in. Could you tell us more about this world? Do we meet the benevolent presence or is it supposed to be unclear whether they're tangible or real or not? I definitely think it needs to be clear. I want it to be clear. It's important for the premise that it's clear that whether it's tangible or not, this this is a power that does intervene uh, mm -hmm. in the world, because that's kind of the that's the question I wanted to explore with this is if you could ask for impossible things or for for things you can't ask any person or, or um, organization and have some not necessarily an expectation, but there be some chance that there would actually be divine intervention on that uh, on that score. How would that change the world? And so mm. I don't actually know a lot uh, yet about what the world I'm writing in here is like, because it was all my, always my plan to discover more about it through writing these monologues and kind of learn about it through the lens of the people that are um, taking advantage of this power. 
I have a very long list of just quick notes of things people might ask for that might make a good monologue or episode or mm. whatever this turns out to be. Because I'm interested in if this was something that was possible in the world, uh, what what things would people ask for? Because they have to be things that you you don't you don't feel like you could achieve yourself and that you don't feel comfortable asking anybody else or it's people who have already exhausted all possible avenues on like the mortal plane yeah i, I was going to say it feels very resonant with the feeling of helplessness that a lot of people have nowadays when when you hear about all these human rights violations and awful things happening in other countries first world countries as well and not being able to do much about it other than sign petitions and and share tweets it wasn't the first of these monologues that came to my mind but as soon as I started diving in and thinking about the concept I realized that if if there's this kind of system I mean if there's any kind of system uh, in the world that people will try to find a way to game it um, mm. and I I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of them uh, talk about things like fivecalls.org which is a service in the states that makes it easier to call your representative about political things so that mm. people who might feel a, a kind of a general sense of unease about a policy but aren't seasoned activists suddenly have access to that thing through tools like that. I think it is specifically in the States, but there are sites like Write to Them in the UK or They Work For You. They give you form letters and you put your postcode in and it automatically links you up to the right MP and all those sorts of things, which... Yeah, I'm I'm just interested in the the new ways that people are finding to push back against evil in the world. So taking a complete divergent tangent there, you also happen to produce and run role-playing games for merely role players. Little shout out for a podcast that I've been in a couple of times. And you do quite a lot of dungeon mastering in your spare time as well. Is there anything that running role play games where the players take the story you set up and, and run with it and change it? Is there anything that running role play games has taught you about writing fiction that's entirely within your control? Yeah, so much. Um, and I, I actually initially started running role playing games um, as uh, another way to tell stories when I was uh, feeling unable to write myself. Mm. Um, I went, went through, I mean, I'm still going through a bout of depression. Uh, and uh, that locked down that creative part of my brain for a bit, gave me a different route to the same outcome, which has been great. And it has, it's taught me loads about, um, especially about how important characters, motivations and actions and decisions can be uh, to drive plot. Mm. Um, and I actually, I actually find myself now sometimes um, when I'm watching sort of your, your big prestige HBO dramas, noting character beats in terms of what they must have rolled. <laughs> so, Brilliant. yeah, because the, the systems that I run uh, tend to work on, um, if you roll a, a low number, it's not necessarily you have failed or done badly. It's just that is a moment for a plot twist and to have a bit of bad luck and the wrong person to turn up and recognize you or those sorts of things. Yeah. And once you start seeing that is the way that the game drives story, you start spotting that that is how story is driven and how uh, energy is kept up in plots in all sorts of things. Brilliant. That's a really good way to look at things. Cool. 
So I, obviously I've already given Merely Role Players a, a little bit of a shout out. It's going to be, by the time people listen to this, it's going to be about four episodes odd into the latest season, which I am also in. Cheeky plug for myself there. Um, and you can find that wherever you have podcasts, search for Merely Role Players. But where can people find you, Matt, online? Uh, so you can find me at uh, mattboothman.com. Uh, and that is where you can find all of my, uh, all the uh, short story work I've done. Um, you can download the text of the play that I wrote, Audience with the Ghost Finder. You can find links to merely role players there as well. Uh, even a couple of little uh, pencil and paper games that you can print out and play at home. Um, and I'm on Twitter at merely MJ. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's it for this week. Thank you once again to all the creatives involved in putting this episode together. And thanks to you for listening. The Ragged Scratch podcast, brought to you by Ragged Foils Productions, was produced and hosted by me, Natalie Winter. Recording and play edits by Kirsty Gilmore. The Ragged Scratch podcast theme music was composed by Alex Jones. You can find us online at Ragged Foils across Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, where we've been tagging this week's creatives so you can go find out more about them and their work. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do go rate, review and subscribe, as it will help other people find the podcast. And we'll see you next week for our final episode of Season 1. Goodbye.